0: listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exedy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by listener. remember those music jocks on radio they would always tell you the top 10 songs around the country the aria charts well here on the grill we have the fcai figures for the month of june and an electric car company went to number two in the sales race what would the announcers say With a bullet. (laughs) Hi everybody, Greg Rasche, Jacobson, (laughs) and Jeff Willam, with you for another edition of our auto industry pod. Some gags, crazy stuff that caught our eye on the road or in the press, the sales or delivery figures in various segments, and what it means. Plus, we talk to those at the coalface in the game, and some people that we all look up to, right? Inspiring types, and why they are such a success, and how some of their learnings might actually be applied to those of you listening that are out there in the trade. Today, we have a guest that we've been talking about getting on for ages. It is way, way overdue. Rally co-driving legend Coral Taylor will join us very shortly. She taught Shane a thing or two about pace notes. And I got told by Neil Bates, a little bit of a memory of you at Rally Calder in Victoria, as we say hello and welcome to you. Uh, Apparently, you were all looking at the results list at one stage and you turned to Neil and said, jeez, imagine how those people behind me feel. <laughs> I
1: think
2: I did say that. Hello, mate. How are you? Well, first, it's great to be here, Keishi Kisham, since we're doing that. Remember, remember Keishi Kisham? <laughs> oh, coast coast. he was a legend. Keishi's coach to coast. Um, Yeah, she did teach me a thing or two about pace notes. The two things were... She's great, and the second thing was oh, I'm shit shithouse. <laughs> uh, my favourite memory about when, when I did race well, against but sort of with because they in, in some ways Neil and Coral took me out of their wing a little bit um, and let me sit in the car with them doing pace notes in Perth during an ARC round, et cetera. Yes. But my favourite memory of Neil Bates, I used to always joke, you'll know if you're having breakfast with a rally driver because they'll cut all the corners off the toast because they cut every <laughs> corner they can. Uh, We were doing this thing which was kind of a rally cross, I guess you'd call it, just just for -hmm. people listening, and part of it went from dirt into what was the old sort of national circuit out at Calder, and there's a corner there, and everyone was staying on the tarmac, but of course Neil just turned up with his Mm. rally mind – and I'll, he just cut straight we'll across take that out. The, he cut straight across <laughs> the grass and then back onto the circuit and, you know, got himself an extra two or three seconds yeah. out of it because yeah. he literally cut a whole corner out of the track, <laughs> dragged all the grass onto the track, and then all the officials, <laughs> you can't do that. And he's going, well, where does it say you can't? So the next day when we came back to race day two, they put concrete barriers right there to stop <laughs> me and <let> everyone out. <laughs> So it went in the pace notes from okay to cut to don't cut. Uh, keep that
0: story up your sleeve because I think there's a re- very funny one about you in WA with them in the recce car too, which we'll talk to yes. Coral about. Now, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, wow, what happened?
1: My Lin-Man? mum calls me Jeffrey. Oh, I'm
0: called? in trouble when, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm getting serious though, because you had lunch
1: with the Prime Minister. How did you score that? Well, it wasn't just me, okay. There was about 16 okay. people there.
2: Nah, reads better the way Rusty said it. <laughs> yeah, it does actually, doesn't it? Um
1: <laughs> <laughs> gosh, that's all I've got, okay. <laughs> um I think he's just a genuine sort of guy that wants to do some stuff. That's not taking any political side whatsoever. I just think he's a genuine guy. He wants to achieve good stuff for Australia. You know, best of luck to him. That's all you can say. Yeah.
0: Your mission which you may or may not have accepted, was to get into his car. Did you get <laughs> into the even... <laughs> PM's car?
1: <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what car he drives. He, don't, <laughs> I do, he doesn't drive an electric car. I know that. Look, I'll tell you what, when I'm having lunch with him again on Friday, I'll ask him oh, for you, Greg, and I'll come straight back to you, okay?
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a crook segue
2: to get us to the part of the show we like to call Cop This. People aren't going to believe this. I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> Young bloke from Australia jumps on a plane, goes to America, jumps in a NASCAR, has a bit of a go at it. Okay, that's how these things go. And then very soon after, has to go into qualifying. Oh, okay, he's going to be go at racing these things. Goes and has a race. Oh, I know who you're talking about. First time in sixty years, wins a NASCAR race. We all know who we're talking. Well, I shouldn't say all we motoring fans do. Go, Rusty. Who am I talking about? Crazy Shane J. Oh, Shane, I'm <laughs> <gonna say> Shane <laughs> Jacobson, Shane I Van Gisbergen. It's another Shane. So he
0: he lives. In Queensland now, but he's a very, very proud Kiwi. So, just about every motorsport related television set on either side of the Tasman was tuned to Chicago yep. in the last few days as we record here because he won on debut in NASCAR. Please tell the people how incredible this is. Go and give us data. I know your head will be filled with it. It is just an incredible feat. So, firstly, it's a street course in Chicago, damp condition. So, that's a little bit unique for NASCAR, something different. And, and, Okay, that played a bit to his strengths. Normally they're used to racing on ovals, those guys, but he applied himself in the most incredible way. When they got in the simulator, they reckon he was on par, if not quicker, than the best guys in the game within three laps. Wow. He did a test, and at the test, the team sat back and went, far out, this is something special here. But here's the, the clincher. Like he, he came from position 18 with about 20 laps to go, damp conditions, and he just kept picking off people lap after lap and they could not come back at him. So when you've got people that are using words like seasoned NASCAR drivers who do not give out praise easily saying, he schooled us. Yeah. He schooled us. That's a that's a big endorsement for what Shane Van Gisbergen achieved over there. Winning on debut. Even got a tweet from Mario Andretti, one of the all-time legends of motorsport, congratulating him on uh, on what he
2: achieved. And everyone in the community is talking about it. It, it. it was mighty. And on the other side of the car. Yeah, correct. When you get in a car and you're driving from the other side of the car, yep. it, it's different. It feels different. You, and, and he's got to do gear shifts with the other hand. Mm-hmm. So – yeah. I'm not saying Phenomenal. it's a different disadvantage, but it's a difference. One of my favourite comments I saw, um, well, there was one driver, they didn't know how to say his name. They just they weren't paying attention until he won, were they? There's some <laughs> rookie out Some guy from Australia turned up, who cares? All of a sudden, everyone's looking at these taillights going, well, we need to know a bit more about yeah. this guy. Yeah. One guy just said, yeah, some Shane Van, I don't know, Berger, Bergman Van, Berger, <laughs> like, had no idea. And he said, I don't know his name. All I know is he's quick. That was fantastic. One of the other drivers. So literally at the end of the race, didn't mm-hmm. even know Shane's surname. He goes, "It's something Bergman." Van. Wow. He goes, "Look, all I know is he's quick." So now oh. that I bet he knows his name now. I bet he does, yeah. And the other one I loved was I think it was one of the other drivers, if not it was someone out of out of the pits or something. Just said, "Uh oh, he's now going to go home to Australia and tell them how shit we are." <laughs> <laughs> that was as an Australian, that was one that made me laugh yeah, the most, yeah, going because yeah, yeah. it made me feel hey. proud. Like. Some Australian guys turn up and go, I'll have a go at this. I'll have a crack. Now, don't forget, Tom Cruise made a movie about this, and yeah, that was a movie yeah, yeah. that was supposed yeah. to be unbelievable. That, that's the thing that I've had to say to people. Well, Tom Cruise, you know, not even arguably now, the biggest star on the planet, he mm-hmm. keeps confirming that, and he did a movie based on the theory of someone that turned up and had a case in one. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. and and with Nicole Kidman, thank you very much, and Shane Van Gisman just went and did yeah. it in a day. Coming, coming back to jump in supercars, but we're going to lose him, aren't we, Rusty? Twenty twenty-five. Maybe, maybe he
0: might go even earlier. I don't know that yet. But his his team boss, his former teammate Jamie Wincup, who's the the GM of the team there now, he basically said. I won't stand in his way, yeah. so he'll at least see this year out. Would he go next year? He's contracted for 2024 currently, mm. but, um, you, I mean, if you're a real estate agent in Mooresville, North Carolina
2: right, right now, you'd have to think your phone would be ringing, yeah. wouldn't you? So, Well, well done, him. That's our point, yeah? Yeah, nice one. quick break to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads. The perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilise stealth advanced technology offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping, stopping performance, That's when you bring the car to a stop. You understand what I'm saying. Low dust, low rotor wear and enhanced durability. Bendix's blue titanium stripe technology removes the need for bedding in and noise absorbing shims, reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT Brake Pads. Available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. And Shano, I've got a little late edition, kind of
0: without notice. We've got a few little notes that we bounce through when it comes to uh, some of the headlines in the in the game. Before we get into the the Vfax figures, how about the bloke in New Zealand that sought compensation from the the transport agency over there for damage to a rim and tyres etc. from a pothole? Scott Hearn, who's an engineer from Rotorua, won two thousand three hundred dollars after taking the NZTA to task basically so he suffered a damaged wheel was forced to to get it repaired or replace it there's obviously damage to tires and so on felt that there wasn't adequate signage or warning in relation to the pothole for potential damage how's this state of the roads there a crook and don't get me started on the NZTA <laughs> but anyway more than 200,000 potholes have been reported in New Zealand over the past 5 years so he's not alone there are 800 compensation claims from 2022 alone, Jeff, yep. up 90%. And he's encouraging people to stick to their guns and go for it. Uh,
1: there is a program in Victoria. I don't know about the other states and territories, but if you – I think the number is the damage has got to be more than $3,000, but check the Vic Roads website. But if you've got substantial damage to your vehicle from a road disrepair in Victoria, you can make a claim.
2: If you were that authority, would you not try and do an out-of-court settlement so you don't create a precedence case – because the potholes haven't all been repaired. I mean, it now sounds like a motivating factor for me to try and pick back roads between here and home and see if I can't damage my car a little bit knowing I'm going to get three grand. Well, I know I've got to fly to New Zealand to do it, but that's all right.
1: Or Victoria. Yeah. (laughs) That's unbelievable
2: he got the payout. Yeah. He'd done his homework by the sounds of it. I know. A can of worms.
1: what, what, What happened is during COVID, we basically had two years without any road repair. And, uh, you know, it'll take a long time for the agencies to catch up. But I- I've seen some potholes that you look at them and you... Just- sinkholes. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's raining, of course, and they're full up, you can't see a thing on top of the road service. So uh, big job for governments uh, both in New Zealand and in Australia there, Greg.
0: Now, gents, while we're on the whole Kiwi flavour, how about this <laughs> excellent, excellent one that caught our attention? Not Charlie and Boots Speck, but Nilly, the dad that bought the Holden Kingswood back 22 mm. years after selling it. It was, it was a 78. Uh, what are we talking there? I think it was a 308, five litre, V8. Um, the Daily Mail covered this yarn. So he's Christchurch based. He inherited it from the the family, sold it back in 2001 for about two and a half grand. And then he's decided, well, hang on a minute. I'd actually, I actually like, like to get that thing back. So he posted some pics to social media and the whole kind of social swarm gathered a bit of momentum and they tracked down the fellow who owned it, who incredibly was the bloke he sold it to 20-plus years ago.
2: Oh, see, I didn't know that bit. I had a mate who was, um, we tried to find his car and couldn't, but I hadn't thought about this, putting it out on social media, but this was a long while. A mate of mine was born in the boot of a car. (laughs) <laughs> um, a True story of Travelling circus he's a, Wayne Scott Kerman He's a, an award winning Stage performer And he was born In the boot of an old car And we tried An old Royale Or whatever it's called And we, we tried to find it We couldn't Because it was his birthplace His birthplace Was in the boot of a car Travelling yeah. to the circus yeah. And we tried to locate his car So I love these stories When they get them back Yeah But that's great. Imagine getting the phone call from the guy that sold it to you 22 years later going, can I have it back?
1: Have you got what he sold it and what he paid for it though, Greg? Uh,
2: I don't know what he bought it back
1: for, but it's uh, original
0: paint, engine, transmission and so on. Um, I just think it's a cool reunited thing. And oftentimes we all get a bit miffed about the state of social media. How good that it's being used for something so positive like that and that all these people dive in to, to... Help find an answer.
2: <laughs> Jeff has this weird glint in his eye, like he knows how much the guy paid for it. You've, I can see you wanting to speak. Go on.
1: Do you know what he paid to buy it back? You do not. Go Come on. Go. 50 grand. Oh. Really? Paid 50 grand to buy it back.
2: Not a favor, it's profit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Here's a photograph you probably shouldn't visualize in your head uh, Greg Rust, Jeff Gwilliam and Shane Jacobson racing posty bikes. But how would you like. Because it's back. The Australian Posty Bike Grand Prix, <laughs> Cessnock is. in New South Wales, near the Hunter Valley. It's been parked because of the pandemic for two years. It's back in November. It's so funny <laughs> to watch. I've owned one. I've, I've
2: had a CT110. I'm so gutted I sold it, mate. It was uh, it was a minter. Cool.
0: It was a minter and I, I sold it. It's unbreakable.
2: It. I mean, yeah. Top Gear did a story on it in like early Top Gear days, unbreakable. We used to have a postie bike race uh, during Top Gear Festival and had some mad men of of the two-wheel variety. I mean, honestly, we had some legends. And the crowd went bananas during the postie bike race, trying to kick each other off, grabbing front brakes. Yeah. I looked forward to that more than anything at Top Gear First. Of all, I'm so glad it's back. It's so fun.
1: Shane, would it be impolite of me to say, look, by the way, while you're racing, guys, that letter we have been waiting for from the New South <laughs> Wales government for, four, for 14 years, could you just drop it off? <laughs>
2: Wouldn't it be great, though? You know what? Please tell me someone's going to do this, and if they do, you've got to send in a pic. If you did just dress up exactly
1: oh, like Oh, man
2: and actually enter across the grass because it would make great TV if you just cut in from the grass, (laughs) get in front, but you've actually got the bags and have an envelope in your head. (laughs) It's on Sunday, November 5. You can find
0: out details uh, online. I've been asked to do it a few times, but the planets (laughs) just have not aligned, but I really want to. A broadcasting mate who shall remain nameless decided to set up a Speedway posty bike Event for his uh, his Bucks weekend, and I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in fun. all my life. It was yep. so much fun. We're past the halfway mark for the year, so how are we tracking when it comes to VFax figures? We're on about the magic million, etc., etc. Jeff, what did June look like?
1: Okay. Let's have a look. So uh, nationally, 124,926 new vehicles delivered in June this year, which is an increase of 24,000, well, nearly 25,000 over last year. That's 25% up. Wow. I mean, it represents the highest June since 2018. So what, 2018? However, I think it is important in terms of the appetite in the industry and the Mm. buying behaviours that we can see out there uh, now. But, you know, June, it's typically people buying vehicles into the financial year. But, you know, it does send a signal that whilst on the one hand, you know, we've got some tough parts of the economy, you know, in the press every day, that there's still, my view is, there's still COVID money coming out of barrels and people have still got a bit more money that they want to spend and they can spend it. Year to date, 581,759 new vehicles have been delivered, which is 43,900 more than last year. That's 8.2% up on last year. So for the first six months of this year, that's a significant, you know, 43,000 units or cars sold more than last year. Uh, that's quite a significant jump.
0: Yeah. What do you put that growth down to? I mean, kind of one minute we're being told the economy's in, you know, it's a bit shaky or whatever, but it looks like we'll sell more cars this year than than in post-COVID years.
1: I was speaking to our researcher, Steve Bletz, about this this morning, Often we see very similar parallels in the car market and the housing market. When the housing market's in trouble, people stop buying cars. We're not seeing that at the moment. What we're seeing is a housing market that's stalling, but we've still got a very buoyant car market. So there's, this is not usual. You Normally both markets slow and speed up at the same time. I'm a bit perplexed around that, but we're not, you know, we don't have a problem. If we can sell 1.1 million vehicles this year, we'll be we'll be happy with that. The other thing that could be happening out there mm. is that a lot of people that can't get into houses they're saying, "Well, let's go and buy a car because we're 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 out of them. There's no way in the world we're going to be able to buy a house. Um, we'll go and buy a car." Oh wow! And interestingly, for the month of May, the value of new loan commitments for that month for the purchase of road vehicles rose nine point three percent. That's wild. To one point two six billion for the month of May. It's the highest level since August 2022. And represents a rise in lending for the road vehicles of $107 over April 2023. You've got an economy that's slowing. You've got real challenges around borrowing. You've got interest rates going up. And yet we've got a rising uh, trend of people borrowing money for cars. It's
0: counter to what you'd expect. Yeah.
1: Um, The question for us, you know, uh, earlier this year, I said we'd sell a a million and 50,000 vehicles this year. 2017 was still the biggest year in Australia in terms of vehicle sales. 1.189, no, nearly 1.2 million vehicles were sold in 2017. Now, we're not not going to get there this year.
0: We're not going to beat that, you reckon?
1: Uh, I, I don't think so, uh, Greg. I still think the number will be about 1,050,000, maybe 1.1. Okay. These figures
2: we just went through, I, it's,
1: yeah. not, it's not unachievable. I don't know if we'll ever reach those 2017 numbers again because we tend to hover around that million 1.1 mm. and then you ask well jeff if we've got more people in australia why aren't the car numbers just going up every year you know the answer is because a lot of people are on you know light mobility vehicles they're on scooters they're making dif- different decisions about how they travel so you know it, yeah I, th- I think that we will we'll pass one point 1.1 million one day but we can see that the demographics are changing around decision making of predominantly young people that live in urban areas that maybe were by one car and one scooter or one car and a tram pass and, you know, however it goes. But but if you looked at the growth in population in real terms, you'd be selling about 1.3 million vehicles. You're not going to get there.
0: Jeff, just quickly, the market segments, when you look at it, uh, from the FCAI figures. I, I mean, we really should say thanks to them and to Steve Bletzos for helping us dive into these. All the segments look like they are in in the positive. I mean, passenger vehicles were up, what was it, 10.6% 10, 10. or something? Yeah,
1: they're all up. I mean, if if the overall numbers are up, then, you know, that, that's the correlation. Passenger vehicles up 10.6%. SUVs, 315 which is no surprise there. It's the biggest sector of vehicles we buy anyway. Light commercials up 20.9, tells you we're delivering lots of things in white vans, which is good, although some of those light commercials also come under commercial, they're four-wheel drives as well. Uh, heavy commercial vehicles up nearly 30%. It's still positive either way you look at it, it's painting a very healthy picture of business activity and economic activity in Australia. What about
0: on a state-by-state
1: basis? Yeah, looking at the states, ACT up nearly 25%, New South Wales up 156 Northern Territories down... Ah. 2.7, which is a bit odd. Queensland up 27.5, South Australia up 28.3, TAS up 22.3. Remember the last session we had yeah. and I said, watch TAS. TAS is the canary in the cage for yes. economic activity. Well, they've bounced back up to 22.3 in the positive, which, you know, just that's really good because I said, look, if TAS you go down another month, three months in a row on negative car sales, we've got a problem, but they've bounced back really well. It's good to see that. VIC up thirty one point eight and WA up thirty three point
2: two. Oh, we got pipped by WA. They just got, got more money. I got excited then because thirty one point eight <laughs> percent is that what you said for Victoria? Yeah, I thought we were winning. Not, not that it's a competition, <laughs> but it's nice to win. So, so the, the the one sort of odd
0: one out here is the Northern Territory. What do we put that down to?
1: I don't know. Northern Territory is a very stable car market. You know, mining and manufacturing up there as well. I don't think it's anything to worry about, Greg. I it's just they, they've. Dropped off slightly, but um, I wouldn't expect them to stay down there very long because they're, they're it's a very stable state in terms of car sales.
0: What about heavy uh, or commercial vehicles? Are we going to end up with like a like a glut of, of heavy or commercial vehicles coming into the market as these kind of projects come to an end around infrastructure and so on?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's possible, Greg. Most state governments in Australia are going hell for leather on building new road and rail infrastructure. Yeah. Well, mainly road. Look, I think that they'll move the machinery around. I mean, a lot of this heavy plant equipment lasts for a long time. I don't think there'll be a glut, Greg. It'll it'll just mean that some of the new sales might take a bit longer in five or six years' time when some of the big projects uh, come off. Just in uh, wrapping it up for commercial, though, 6,637 heavy commercial vehicles were sold in June. That's up 28.5% June last year. Well, there's 30,000 light commercial vehicles in June. That's a huge number, uh, up 20% on June last year. So keep reading the papers. You know, most of the stories are about about misery and the end of the economic situation in Australia, yet the car market does not suggest that at all.
0: We'll leave our dive into the FCAI or VFAX figures for this fortnight here but don't forget we're out in two weeks time again and we're going to go into things like uh, sales by vehicle category and fuel type and we know that you want to hear what's happening in relation to evs and so on so you can check that out listen in in a fortnight's time here on the grill Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso, and then you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry, from ignition coils to engine management sensors. There's AC components and alternators, filters to fuel pumps, and a whole lot more. Plus, cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads Longer, thanks to the industry leading test facilities, which we've been to here on the podcast, they're amazing that they have right here in Australia. So, at your next service, be sure to ask for Denso, or you can find your part at denso.com.au. Our feature guest today is something of a super mum in the automotive or motorsport world. For a time, Molly Taylor was Coral's daughter. Now Coral is Molly's mum. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to being multiple Australian rally champion co-driver, she's held board positions with the National Roads and Motorists Association, Motorsport Australia. We talked about her daughter there a moment ago, who is a champion ARC driver in her own right and has beaten the best in the world in an all-new, relatively new, electric off-road arena. And when Coral is not doing logistics for the rally team, you may find her at the wheel of the transporter, eastbound or westbound and down. 18 wheels are rolling. Shane has just gone all gooey because she can drive a truck. Please welcome to the grill a well-overdue feature guest. Hello, Coral Taylor.
3: Hello, Rusty. Thanks for having me.
0: Literally, as you come on the the WA round of the Australian Championship was only in the last couple of weeks. Did you drive the truck over the Nullarbor? Again? I
3: did. I did on the way home. I, I normally do both directions, but we had some other things that were clashing. So, How good.
0: Um,
3: But I did do the trip home. Yeah,
2: yeah. long Best way trip to of go. the year, Rusty. <laughs> Short time Don't to get there. there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is the transporter these days that you're driving? Uh,
3: it's a Peterbilt truck. It's a Peterbilt oh. uh, three seven nine. Is the model number, but if you just think typical American truck, yes. then that's what it's like, a big long nose, long wheelbase.
2: Now, I did i did catch up with your daughter uh, just last week at an <laughs> event and she she wanted me to say that bit that Rusty said, which is, aren't you Molly Taylor's mum? Because she, she had it the other way for a long while, you've got to admit. And she wanted me to reference, what did they call you at some point? The the oldest, gra- the fastest grandmother in Australia or something <laughs> hideous. She's like, Mention that. I'm like, No, your mum will probably punch me she out. She is cheeky. <laughs> and I did point out to her, I actually said to her, Well, I was friends with your mum before I was friends with you, which is true because you and Neil held my hand, if you will, over at the ARC when I did one of the rounds over in Perth. Yeah. And I still remember you and Neil, um, you were doing pace notes um, and you put me in like a little Corolla and you were doing pace notes with Neil. And I'm I'm sitting in the back thinking, they're going quicker in this. I know you're supposed to only do <laughs> 60, but they're doing corners. I'm like, I won't be able to do this at race pace in a rickety car. <laughs> yeah, and then it was just, it was no lid on, just a sash belt. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm in trouble here. But it was fantastic because, yeah, I, I've known you. I have known you longer than I've known your daughter.
3: Yeah, we have. And we loved having you at that rally. You need to come to another one. I agree.
2: Oh, I, I, honestly, I, I will. I will get back to one before my time is done. That, that's for sure. Yeah,
3: I, I remember standing around. You know those stand-around moments at a rally and everyone's leaning on cars and telling stories? Yes. Yours were the best. Thank you. I do remember <laughs> a lot of laughter.
2: Yeah, we have fun, but, I mean, you guys got the better rally stories. I, so, I mean, what got you interested? What, how did you get into it? Where did it all start for you?
3: Oh, it was such an innocent discussion over dinner one night with my dad who was wanting to enter the Repco Round Round Australia Reliability Trial and I just thought that sounded like a great adventure so I suggested I'd go with him. But, Shane, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and I had absolutely no idea what it was really like in a rally car. So that's how it all started and, and even... When we set out to do that, it was just intended as a one-off adventure. But, you know, the sport, you do one thing and you want to do more, and one little adventure turned into really a lifetime.
0: It has, with multiple titles as a, as a co-driver. You have had one of the longest-running uh, partnerships, if you like, in Australian sport with Neil Bates Motorsport, co-driving alongside Neil, and now you are working with his son.
3: I am. It is crazy. Who would have thought, hey? Who would have thought?
0: (laughs) How did that all come about and how's it all going?
3: It's great. I mean, I'm absolutely loving it. I never thought for one minute that I'd be doing, you know, a full championship at the front end of the sport um, (laughs) this year. It was was unexpected. And, look, really, uh, John McCarthy, Harry's co-driver, just wanted to take a bit of a sabbatical and step out this year. He caught COVID last year, so I did one rally with Harry just as an emergency stand-in. So when John sort of semi-retired at the moment um, this year, with not a lot of notice but a lot more than we had that event, that one-off event with Harry before, um, Harry asked me and, and, you know, I thought my first thought was I I would love to, given the experience we'd had in a one-off event the year before. On the other hand, I thought, look, really... Harry needs someone, you know, younger and to work with and so forth. And so thinking about alternatives. And then at the end of the day, one day I thought, why am I helping to look for an alternative when I'd actually really enjoy doing that? So, so, yeah. good. so I said yes and off we went.
1: One of the questions I've got is when you're looking at co-drivers, I always wonder is the co-driver more petrified than the driver because you don't have the steering wheel. You, you, you know, how does the co-driver manage through that? I mean, my anxiety, I'd just be hanging off the outside of the car. What is your secret to maintaining the, your calmness and your zen and all of that? Or you don't?
3: You choose the right driver. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you co-drove for someone, you know, in their first rally who, who didn't know what he was doing, it probably would be a terrifying job.
2: I've put a few people through that experience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's absolute trust. You've got to have absolute trust in the driver. That's what you're saying, yeah?
3: Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I always say to people, it is 100% trust. You know, you you really do hold each other's lives in your own hands. And a, a driver's going to commit to a corner at a speed, depending on the note you've just delivered to him about that's describing the severity of that corner, he's going to commit to that as fast as he possibly can. Mm-hmm. But he might not be able to see it. So he's committing to things that are unseen absolutely on what you're telling him. And then vice versa, you know, I'm sitting there telling him something, trusting completely that he's going to drive around that corner. It is, It's a really unique bit of teamwork, driving and co-driving.
0: It it is like an insane art form, Coral, almost like a language in itself. And you have this soothing, calm voice or or delivery. And that is part of the secret of being a good co-driver, isn't it?
3: Well, it is. I mean, everybody does pace notes differently. There's no wrong way or right way. Um, So it's, it's finding something that works for you and being on that same wavelength with the driver. So you know what he needs when he needs it. And, and that's the other thing. And it's so hard, you can't teach it. It's, you know, whenever I've tried to help a, a co-driver who wants to learn how to do it and you say, well, when this happens, you'll now say this, but that isn't always the case because it, it changes in any given stage. You know, the pace of the calls will be different depending on a sequence of corners, whether they're all coming up very fast or you've got a slower corner that's going to take longer to get round, so you've got a little bit of breathing space before you give the next call, compared to a section of road where you've got a series of very fast corners that are all linking into one another, and maybe the fourth corner in that section is going to be a very tight corner. So for us, a six is a fastest corner, a three is, say, a 90-degree corner, and a one would be a very tight
2: hairpin. You run point fives, though, don't you, Coral? We do, yes. We use halves,
3: yeah. And some people use one to ten, but... My point there is if you've got a series of fives and sixes that are leading into that hairpin, you're not Mm. going to call one six ready for the next six ready for the next six because, you know, at the start of that sequence, it's all going to happen so quickly. The driver needs to be aware that, sure, we're going to have all these fast quarters, but buddy, get ready for that really tight hairpin down the bottom there.
0: Now, Coral's been good enough to stick around, not for a full fortnight, but for this record. We will bring you part two of our chat with the Australian Rally Championship and Australian Motorsport Hall of Famer next
2: time here on The Grill. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, Exedy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exedy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch disc and release bearings, and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exedy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exedy.com.au. Remember guest time on this edition of The Grill. Today,
0: we're delighted to welcome to studio Richard Gartner, the managing director of Safety Stop. Races a Lamborghini in GT3 or production sports if memory serves too. Richard, welcome. Good day, everybody,
4: and hello to all the
0: listeners. Can we break it down as we kick this off? What actually is
4: Safety Stop? Tell us a bit more about it. Safety Stop is um, well, A dream of mine that I started uh, 20 odd years ago and um, it was an overnight success that took only 15 years to get there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice, I like it.
4: So Safety Stop is an Australian design. Obviously, I designed it and I built a safety test lane. A safety test lane, essentially, the easiest way to explain is a stretch of road where you drive a car onto it and you brake hard. That will then allow us to measure the braking effort of the motor car or of the truck or whatever we test on it and find out exactly how the braking effort is actually gets distributed to each wheel and if it actually gets there. So rather than driving a car around the block and feel for maybe any brake efficiency or inefficiencies, that's what we do with Safety Stop.
1: Hey Richard, I've seen these in workshops for a long time and what I love about them is the transparency of them. So they can see this thing happening and they can get a printout and the customer immediately gets a view of all oh, right, so so that, that's my car. It's like a heart monitor, and you get an immediate heart check that says, by the way, that's how your brake and suspension's working on your car. And I, I think it was ahead of its time. Yes. You'd think that every workshop would have one today. I, I assume they don't all have one, but they should have one. But I just thought it was for consumers seeing a, a transparency, immediate rapport. I'm not just having a guess at this. That's actually what's wrong with your car, because the science tells us that. I reckon it's yeah. a fantastic thing.
2: To look, to look at it, what are you looking at when you see one of the, one of these stopping lanes? <laughs> yeah, there I mean, is, is, is it, not, not is, much to see. Is, is it a mile of road? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so essentially, it's just two sets of plates. They get bolted onto the ground, onto mm-hmm. a level um, surface area. The car rolls nice and slowly onto it. And think of it as a stretch of road, and we've put very accurate sensors underneath the road. And that allows us to measure the four patches of tires that touches the road at any given time. So when it comes to brake testing, we drive the car on, hit the brakes really hard, so we simulate a brake emergency stop, as it would happen on the road. So the front of the car dips down, the rear comes up, and then we pressurize and see how does the braking effort actually get to each wheel, and does it actually get there? Because I think what we tend to forget is that, especially with modern cars, we have so many aid uh, sections that help us, ABS and traction control and stability control and so on. And so... Driving a car on the road and feeling the brakes becomes very difficult. Once upon a time, you could feel if a brake locked up or if the car pulled to the left or to the right. You can't do that anymore with modern technology. It's very masked,
1: isn't it? It's a really good good way to put it. But the one I saw, I mean, I don't know how long this room is here, six, eight metres. I mean, they're only about eight metres long, aren't they? The plate, basically...
4: It's, it's a set of plates. Um, so we have different models actually. Okay. So the shortest model is only 1.2 meters long, so wow. it can fit just about anywhere. Yeah. Is that for yeah. those little cars the clowns drive in
1: circuses? <laughs> <or is> it- <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm sure we can test those as well, but I don't think they actually got brakes. Oh, okay. so they test the
1: Hooter as well. Like, <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Correct. Still, my favourite noise. A, que- a question for you. You sure. talked about not being able to feel when the car does lock up. I, I've, everyone listening to this podcast knows because I talk about it ad nauseum. I've got an E.H. Holden, amongst other old cars. Fabulous. Went, went through an intersection in Woodend, had the kids in it. I, I hadn't driven it for, for quite a few months. I drove it around the block a few times, had left foot on the brake, right foot on the accelerator, just to try and get a bit of the dust off the drums because it's like a 1980s rock band. There's just drums all over the place. (laughs) Um, Put the family in it, um, went for a drive, got to an intersection where I had to start applying a little bit of pressure to it and the back right locked up and the thing skidded Mm. sideways. The whole family thought they were going to die. I'm like, relax, the airbags will save us. Oh, no, hang on. That's right. There's (laughs) none of those. I'm the only airbag in the car. (laughs) How far has braking come? We know it's a lot, but, I mean, you know the data better than most. Sure.
4: So has it really? So when you think about it, the actual braking system hasn't changed for 100 years. It's a set of discs, two pads, they get on with a clamp, with a hydraulic clamp, and they clamp the disc on it, and that stops the car. So from that point of view, not much has actually changed. Yeah, Yeah? sure. The hydraulic system is a lot better these days. The brake pad material is a lot better. The the disc material is better, and so on. But the actual braking system itself has not changed. Mm. What has changed is that we use electronic sensors. And these sensors now can stop us from the wheel locking. Yeah. Okay. Once upon a time, it was your right foot that had to do yeah. it. In my Lamborghini, you were mentioning it. I've got a very crude ABS system in it. I still do the <laughs> brake locking with my right foot in it, okay? exactly. because I can't rely on the technology in there. But on modern cars, it's the technology that stops you. Mm. But what is an interesting thing came out, uh, the Adelaide University for Road Safety has done an independent and very thorough research in what kind of brake testing method can actually detect faulty brakes. And interestingly, they have found that the common way of testing brakes at the moment, which is still with a decelerator meter, that is the regulatory way of testing brakes. That means you take a car on the road with 30 Ks, you hit the brakes, you got a decelerator meter Mm. that measures deceleration. Now, they were able to um, put certain brake faults into it and up to 70% of longer distance, stopping distance, still pass the regulatory brake test. Wow. And the reason for that is that the pass-fail criteria hasn't changed for 50 yeah, years. Right. It's not okay. the brakes. It's the pass-fail criteria okay. has not changed for 50 years. How about that? And the ADR requirement for a light vehicle means 35 kilometers an hour, stopping distance 12 and a half meter. Yeah. Well you basically can throw an engine block out the back on a chain and it will stop in 12 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that actually hasn't changed. Mm. Do you think that needs to change? I mean, is that... Uh, According to the Adelaide University and the research, yeah, absolutely. And that's why some of these modern cars pass it, yet they have serious brake problems and they pass a regulatory brake test.
0: Richard, so so that leads us to what the benefit is here for a workshop or say a service department from investing in, in, in Safety Stop.
4: Well, the first thing, the reason why they invested is because they can give their customer a better solution for identifying any problems in the car, like Jeff already mentioned. Um, the Safety Stop provides a very clear printed test report. What Workshops do is because the machine gets installed in the driveway as you drive in, and the test only takes 10 seconds. This is where the question comes. I mean, everybody who installs this machine goes, Why would I not do this? Yeah. Mm. You know, as you drive the car into the workshop, you just test it. And then before it gets on the hoist, I can already determine yeah. the rear left wheel is actually not producing yeah. enough braking effort. So the mechanic can check the wheel, and it's an absolute no brainer.
2: Most important question everyone's sitting at home asking now, and they, I can feel them asking. <laughs> What Lamborghini? What have you got?
4: (laughs) (laughs) You want to know that. (laughs) It's just me, to be honest. What Lambo you got? So it's a a fabulous um, engineering uh, car. So it's a Lamborghini Gallardo, but built by Reiter Engineering in Germany. So it's built for GT3 competition. You know, it's a lightweight Lamborghini engine, 5.2 litre V10. And if you put the foot down and you hear the sound... It does stuff. I hope we never go through electric <laughs> race cars.
2: <laughs>
0: Richard, we squeezed Shane into one of those one day. That's a story for another time. Uh, now, can you tell us before you go just a little bit about what the road ahead
4: looks like? What's the future look like for Safety Stop? I think um, worldwide, the only solutions at the moment to test brakes is with big, heavy roller brake testers. Yeah. Mm. And they are very expensive. They're difficult to install. Yeah. They are... You know, they use big three phase motors and so on. And Are have they have the ones that require system. those
2: massive deep pits
4: yeah. underneath? Yes. So I got one so down at the
1: ice center here.
2: We went yeah. we went and had a look at it, didn't we? And yeah. I was shocked at how bigger space it took up yeah, underneath the ground a lot of room
4: yeah and yeah. also i think uh, you'll be shocked just how much electricity they use yeah because yes. they use big three, phase yeah. motors and everything and i think we need to start you can get electricity to, you know, to charge our electric cars and everything else yeah. rather than spending <laughs> it on stuff like that but i think you know as a product it is worth to now start looking at the international market with it mm. uh, and i think that's a huge opportunity for us there i haven't figured out exactly how i'm going to do it but i'm sure we'll find a way
2: I I could probably recommend coming on a podcast that uh, (laughs) speaks to people in the automotive world. Who knows
4: knows what could happen?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and it's just good to be a part of your success story. I'm already going to claim I'm part of this.
1: Well, you're in. And you might be part of an international story. See? As
2: you know, success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. I'm going to say I'm a dad of this project. We're just (laughs) glad to be a part of it. Great work. Mate, I've got to say, I I hope it goes incredibly well for you. It's it's so fantastic. We we love Australian success stories and I think you're one of them and, and what you're doing is going to do nothing but benefit the motoring world and how great would it be if you end up getting that international success? So my fingers are crossed for you and your whole team, mate. Great, great oh, looks, Thank
4: you very much and uh, yeah, we'll work working towards it. Um, hopefully in 12 months time we can come back and give you some more success stories about Safety Stop.
2: In a weird way, I hope someone puts the brakes on your success because that's how your product works. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah,
4: has been great. That going?
2: <laughs> it is. It is works. very. Yeah, it is very
4: embarrassing <laughs> if you do um, uh, a big brake lockup or mistake oh, on the racetrack yeah. on television, yeah, yeah, and you got yeah, the big safety stop sign on the side on of the car. The side of the car.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to shine a light on this today uh, on the podcast, Richard Gardner from Safety Stop. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, as we said before, we release fortnightly now, so we'll have more of a deep dive on the latest VFAX figures, more from CT, that is Coral Taylor, of course, and one of your favourites, Blow It Out Your Tailpipe. We'll catch you next time, everybody. Bye for now. See you on the
2: road, folks. Bye. Listener.